Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, June 23rd, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. OceanGate says the Titan submersible crew have most likely died. Dozens are killed in an explosion at a restaurant in China. U.S. students' math and reading scores hit a record low. The Bank of England hikes rates to 5%. Canada Bread agrees to pay $38 million for price fixing. U.S. House Republicans vote to censure Adam Schiff. Cardiovascular deaths surge in the U.K. A U.S. court strikes down a Florida transgender Medicaid rule. Australia threatens to fine Twitter over hate speech. And the USDA approves the sale of lab-grown meat. In our top story, sad news from OceanGate, as all five on board the missing Titanic sub are dead. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, CNN, Express UK, Guardian, and USA Today. On Thursday, OceanGate Expeditions, a Washington-based ocean exploration firm conducting the Titan submersible tours of the Titanic ship wreckage since 2021, said all five passengers aboard the submarine that went missing on Sunday have died. According to a statement released by OceanGate, the company's founder and CEO Stockton Rush, Pakistani billionaire Shahzada Dawood and his son Suleiman Dawood, British businessman Hamish Harding, and French diver Paul-Henri Nargiolet have sadly been lost. The news came just minutes after the U.S. Coast Guard reported that a debris field was discovered on the ocean floor near the wreckage of the Titanic, which, according to an expert, included a, quote, landing frame and rear cover from the submersible, noting that they will never be able to recover the bodies of the five passengers on board the Titan. The U.S. Coast Guard added the debris field is consistent with a catastrophic implosion of the vessel. Rear Admiral John Mauger said the underwater banging sounds detected during the search and rescue operation might not have emanated from the Titan, although he added the loss of the pressure chamber could have generated a significant sound down there that the sonar buoys would have picked up. Even if the Titan were found intact, the travelers likely would have run out of oxygen by Thursday morning, as the air supply on board was estimated at 96 hours when it entered the water on Sunday morning. Uh, Those facts provide a sad resolution to this story. We have a narrative A provided by The Independent. We may never know whether deficiencies in design and construction or unwillingness to stick to established safety standards is what put the Titan in such a horrifying predicament. However, the tragic fate of the five passengers should be enough to inspire a new era of regulation for adventure tourism, including having a classification agency such as the American Bureau of Shipping inspect and certify such vessels and tours. Narrative B comes from Daily Mail. While authorities must investigate allegations that OceanGate ignored safety flaws in its submersibles and conducted morbid tours at a hefty price tag, the tragic news is a gut-wrenching blow for the families of the unfortunate Titan crew that shared a passion for exploring and protecting the world's oceans. It's essential to respect the victims' families' privacy and appreciate the unprecedented rescue operation at this painful time. And finally, a cynical narrative from Al Jazeera. The submersible's implosion and the death of its occupants is undoubtedly tragic. 
At the same time, it's telling that the world rallied to find a missing sub while giving minimal coverage to the shipwrecked migrants that went missing off the coast of Greece last week. As the global media and the international marine agencies try to investigate the Titan's loss, they must also give more sympathy and attention to the hundreds of migrants that remain missing. And tragic news from China as a restaurant explosion kills dozens. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, DW, The New York Times, Washington Post, WION News, and Shine. At least 31 people were killed and seven injured in a gas explosion at a barbecue restaurant in the city of Yinchown in northwestern China on Wednesday, China's official Xinhua News Agency reported. The blast was reportedly triggered by a liquefied petroleum gas leak as people gathered for the opening of the three-day Dragon Boat Festival on the busy street in the capital of the traditionally Muslim Ningxiawe Autonomous Region, where the restaurant is located. Following the explosion at the two-story restaurant, firefighters reached the scene and extinguished the fire within an hour. Authorities announced the official death toll Thursday morning with one of the injured reportedly in critical condition. About an hour before the detonation, staff reported a smell of gas and found that the valve of a gas tank was broken, according to the local fire department cited by Xinhua. The explosion occurred during the replacement of the valve. Nine people, including the owner of the barbecue restaurant, shareholders, and several employees were detained in connection with the explosion, and their assets were frozen, state media reported, citing the regional Communist Party committee. On Thursday, Chinese President Xi Jinping mandated that authorities make every effort to treat the injured and strengthen safety supervision in key sectors and industries. Xi also urged relevant authorities to launch a campaign to promote workplace safety. Scott, thank you for those facts. The first spin is Narrative A coming from Reuters. Tragic accidents caused by gas and chemical explosions are anything but uncommon in China. And it was only a matter of time before another such tragic incident occurred. Time and time again, people lose their lives because profit is placed above safety measures and human lives. To set an example, all barbecue restaurants in China should be closed and rectified following rigorous safety inspections. The Chinese government must not allow such an avoidable tragedy to happen again. And narrative B comes from the New York Times. It's true that this fatal accident is just the latest in a series of similar recent incidents. However, it's also true that workplace safety in China has improved in recent years, with local governments ordering more frequent inspections of restaurants and their gas supplies. The deadly explosion will likely prompt authorities to take a closer look at China's booming barbecue restaurant industry. Even if this may not be enough to prevent such tragic incidents, China is on the right track. Eric, what I understand about Chinese cooking, it's high heat is really one of the secret ingredients or techniques or, or whatever when it comes to Chinese cooking. You know, the wok is supposed to be hotter at the bottom than it is on the sides. Right. You know, it's that that's <clears throat> kind of part and parcel with the, the technique. They say that's one of the big reasons, you know, cooking, you can't really get Chinese food to cook the same way at home. No one's stove at home gets to that temperature. So, right. you know, in an in a, in a environment where you have to cook at a super high temperature, with gas and there's lax safety standards, then I guess that's a that's a recipe in its own. According to a recent report, U.S. students' math and reading scores are the lowest in decades. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Politico, ABC News, Daily Mail, and The Hill. 
On Wednesday, the release of the latest assessment of educational progress, or NAEP, showed that math scores among U.S. 13-year-olds have seen the largest drop since the assessments began in 1973. The news highlights already declining scores that were exacerbated by the pandemic. In a national sample of 8,700 13-year-old students, the average math scores fell nine points between 2020 and 2023, from 280 to 271. Reading scores fell four points from 260 to 256 out of a possible 500. Two years after most students returned to in-person learning, there are still some signs of concern about student achievement, says Peggy Garr, Commissioner of the National Center for Education Statistics. The green shoots of academic recovery that we had hoped to see have not materialized. Math and reading scores were already declining before the pandemic, but the latest results show a drop so great that earlier gains in the years leading up to 2012 have been erased. Scores on the math exam are at their lowest since 1990, while reading scores are at their lowest since 2004. Math scores fell among all racial and ethnic groups except Asian Americans, with Native American, Black, and poor students faring especially badly. The drop could also be measured among both boys and girls, among urban as well as rural students. Additionally, results showed fewer students saying they read for fun compared to a decade ago. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona spoke optimistically in regard to the steps the administration is taking to combat the drop in academic achievement, as several states have returned to pre-pandemic levels on their state math and literacy assessments. Cardona says he is, quote, encouraged that the historic investments and resources will help reverse the decline. All right. Thanks for those facts, Eric. We have a Republican narrative from Washington Examiner. The impact of the school closures forced on students will have an irreversible effect on the next generation. Keeping schools open didn't have a noticeable impact on COVID infections, while school closures have clearly had an effect on child development in crucial years. The Biden administration overrode common practice at the command of intransigent teachers' unions, and students are now paying the price. The Democratic narrative is courtesy of Daily Kos. The latest NAEP data is concerning not only because of the decline in students' learning across the country, but more specifically because of the downward trend that shows that achievement plummeted across race, class, and geography. This is further evidence of an ever-increasing racial gap in education that will take years of effort and investment to address. And the cynical narrative comes from Forbes. The NAEP results are routinely trotted out to advance political agendas by people with little understanding of what they actually mean. NAEP standards are much more stringent than state and local standards, where the data is more meaningful. Half of the students at a basic NAEP level end up receiving a bachelor's degree, indicating it's not an accurate measure of competency. Any decline is bad news, but we ought to be skeptical of any apocalyptic messaging based on these numbers. Finally, we have a nerd narrative coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. They say there's a 50% chance that the average NAEP long-term trend mathematics score for nine-year-old students in 2029 will be at least 241.3. I can't help but think of the movie Idiocracy. The beginning of that movie that explains how they got there, you know, the the people of lesser intelligence Uh having 
uh, of more kids than people of greater intelligence. It right. really is. I think that movie, the ideas in that movie were bigger even than the movie itself. Oh, I think yeah. That, that movie, that was a good movie, but the ideas were amazing. Like, yeah, like they the, were. the philosophy behind it were uh-huh. like A. plus. That's a good movie, not a great movie, but no. the ideas are great. Yeah, they are. It's a cliche to even say, but teaching kids is a really, really hard job. And it reminds me of this Louis C.K. routine that I had to look up here. He's talking to a teacher and like what they tell them on their first day. And they say, uh, what we need you to do is make children know math. And then the teacher asks, do they want to know math? And he replies, no, they don't want to know it. You need to make them know it against their will. That's the job. (laughs) That is the job. You have to make kids learn stuff. They do not want to learn it. And you have to make them learn it anyway. That is insane. Yeah, it is. The Bank of England hikes its interest rates to 5%. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Associated Press, CNN, CNBC, and The Guardian. UK interest rates reached a 15-year high Thursday after the Bank of England raised the key rate by a half percentage point to 5%. This came just one day after new data showed inflation was still higher than anticipated, sitting at 8.7% in May. By a 7-2 decision, the BOE's Monetary Policy Committee, or MPC, voted for the rate hike, including BOE Governor Andrew Bailey, who said that recent data showed that further action was needed to bring down inflation to the 2% target. While a 13th consecutive hike was widely expected, the half-point increase surprised many economists, who predicted a quarter-point increase. Markets are now prepared for rates to reach 6% in the near future, the highest since the year 2000. Conservative lawmaker Jake Barry says Britons are preparing for a, quote, mortgage bomb, with the average two-year fixed-rate mortgage rising above 6% this week and the Institute for Fiscal Studies predicting average monthly payments to rise by 280 pounds, or 357 American dollars, compared to last March. Fears of a mortgage crisis and recession are rising, as the UK's main rate has risen from 0.1% to 5% since late 2021 but the MPC says the rate hike's impact on mortgages won't be felt for some time. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak maintains that fighting inflation is his top priority and will support the BOE's efforts. However, experts say that the UK's chances of avoiding a recession are slim, as core inflation, which excludes energy and food prices, reached a 31-year high. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. We'll start our round of spins with the pro-establishment narrative coming from Investment Week. The BOE recognizes the harsh realities of the UK's current economic situation, but it will continue to make the tough decisions to bring down inflation despite short-term hardships. No one wants a recession, but a brief dip in GDP is well worth a return to 2% inflation and less volatility. Recovery from the pandemic has been difficult for all countries, but the UK will weather the storm just like it has in the past. And the establishment critical narrative comes from The Telegraph. The BOE has been inflicting unnecessary pain on the UK for nearly two years, particularly on average British households. Despite its continued rate hikes that have the UK on the verge of a mortgage crisis, core inflation continues to rise with no end in sight. The BOE has provided little clarity, and its mixed messaging has made a bad situation even worse. From the top down, the BOE has failed. 
Metaculous Prediction community gives us a nerd narrative for this story. They say there's a 50% chance that the UK's annual inflation rate will be at least 6.883% in 2023. Eric, my wife and I were looking around, you know, maybe moving across town or, you know, getting a little bit of a bigger house as the kids get older. We have a 2.9% interest rate on our mortgage. We can't move. No. You know, any 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 change we make, if we just refinanced our current mortgage at the same house, not even getting a bigger or better house, it would be over $1,000 more a month just, yeah. just to refinance to the new rate. Yeah. And if you want to get a bigger house, then forget about it. The, yeah. the prices will be way higher. Yeah, you're going to have to stay so, put for I mean, a while. I, we have to. I mean, there's no way, any unless you absolutely have to move, anyone who has a mortgage that's was booked in the last five years has to stay, yeah. which is why there's no houses available because everyone has to stay, which raises the prices even more. It's crazy. Yeah. And then that also is true for people trying to downsize. If you're trying to downsize, you're going to end up paying more for the smaller, worse house. Yeah. So then you just got to stay put so anyway. Much money. Yeah. Yeah. So so no one can move. And no. I mean, and and we're lu we're lucky that we have a house. But I mean, imagine if you're trying to buy into the market, you forget about that too. It's, oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's going to be. Horrible. There's such a it's such a deadlock. You know, the idea is supposed to be interest rates go up, prices come down. But it's interest rates are going up, prices are going up. Yeah. So good luck, everybody. Yeah, I'm it's so lose, sorry. Lose. It's crazy. In our next story, Canada Bread has been fined for price fixing. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, CBC, and The Record. On Wednesday, baked goods maker Canada Bread pleaded guilty to engaging in a years-long price-fixing scheme with competitors and will and will pay a fine of 50 million Canadian dollars or 38 million US dollars for the violation, the highest price-fixing fine ever imposed by a Canadian court. A competition bureau investigation found that executives at Canada Bread, owned by Maple Leaf Foods until Mexico's Grupo Bimbo acquired it in 2014, had discussions about prices for bread products with one or more senior executives at rival baker Western Foods in 2007. In 2007, Canada Bread agreed to increase its prices by 12 to 14 cents, with Western later bumping its prices by 16 cents. In late 2010 to early 2011, they again agreed to hike prices by another 7 cents before executing slightly different but higher increases. The Bureau first launched its investigation in 2015 after Weston and fellow bread competitor Loblaws offered information in exchange for prosecutorial immunity. After that, it obtained search warrants for grocery and food companies, including Metro Incorporated, Sobeys Incorporated, and Walmart Canada. The Bureau added that Canada Bread received leniency in sentencing in return for its full cooperation, also emphasizing that the senior leadership of Canada Bread is responsible for the price fixing and is no longer with the company. The plea deal comes as the competition watchdog is expected to complete another investigation this month into Canada's grocery sector, which it launched last year amid rising food prices. Grocery owners claim that price increases are merely the result of inflation. Thanks for those facts, Eric. CBC brings us the left narrative spin. The Canada bread price fixing scandal is part of a much larger bug in the Canadian marketplace. Investigations into grocery cartels have continually been launched since the early 2000s. 
though the problem is far from fixed and market competition is still not free and fair. Government investigations and class action lawsuits shouldn't only bring punishment to companies, but also financial compensation to regular Canadians struggling with high prices. Forbes brings us the right narrative. While it's important to prevent price fixing, governments must not use economic struggles and bad faith companies as an excuse to begin price fixing themselves. As has been the case in Venezuela since the Hugo Chavez regime, artificially lowering prices leads to more demand without an equal supply. Therefore, as people in Caracas wait three hours in line for rice, they're wasting time and money, which actually makes life more expensive. U.S. House Republicans vote to censure Schiff. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Reuters, USA Today, Politico, The Hill, and the Associated Press. On Wednesday, the Republican-majority U.S. House voted along party lines 213 to 209 to censure Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat of California, who will now be the focus of an investigation by the Ethics Committee. This comes after Florida Republican Representative Anna Paulina Luna's attempt to censure Schiff over his statements alleging collusion between former President Donald Trump and Russia during Trump's 2016 campaign was blocked last week, 225 to 196, with 20 Republicans joining Democrats. In order to secure the votes to pass a resolution, Luna agreed to remove language that called for Schiff to possibly be fined $16 million if he refused to resign from Congress. In Luna's four-page measure, Schiff, a longtime Trump critic who led the former president's first impeachment trial, is accused of acting dishonestly and dishonorably. During the debate, Schiff, running for Senate in California, declared he would not yield, receiving vocal support from his fellow Democrats. Those were the facts, and our first spin is a Republican narrative. It's being provided by Daily Caller. No member of Congress has ever done more to betray the American people and earn censure than Schiff. He must be held accountable for spreading false claims of collusion between Trump and Russia and then passing the cost of his unfounded investigation onto hardworking Americans. And MSNBC brings us the Democratic narrative. Republicans have censured Schiff on false pretenses, as it's been proven time and again that there were connections between the Trump campaign and Russian benefactors. A Senate committee report even drew a direct line between the two. Republicans are railroading an innocent man to kowtow to Trump and are degrading the value of censure in the process. According to a recent UK study, there's been a 100,000 increase in heart-related deaths since 2020. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Telegraph, Times, and Guardian. According to a British Heart Foundation BHF analysis of government data published Thursday, deaths from cardiovascular disease, or CVD, in the UK have risen by 500 per week despite the end of the pandemic. It found roughly 100,000 excess CVD deaths since spring of 2020. In the third year of the pandemic, there were 27,000 excess heart deaths compared to 7,800 COVID deaths, citing CVD as an underlying cause. Meanwhile, the waiting list for time-sensitive cardiac care has hit a record 390,000 people. This comes as average ambulance wait times for heart attacks and strokes last winter rose to 90 minutes and have been consistently above 30 minutes for the past 18 months, compared to the target of 18 minutes. 
BHF Chief Dr. Charmaine Griffiths said, quote, if little changes, we could continue to see a sustained rise in death rates from cardiovascular conditions. While 839,467 people died from CBD between March of 2020 and March of 2023, far above the expected 742,927, NHS figures also show 2 million fewer people had their blood pressure under control in 2021 compared to the prior year. Narrative A on this story comes from The Guardian. The UK's public health system has rapidly collapsed since the onset of COVID, putting the lives of countless people at risk. In the midst of the chaos, deadly diagnoses were left untreated and vulnerable people were left isolated at home. These latest numbers are merely the aftershocks of a system overwhelmed by the pandemic, with further repercussions undoubtedly yet to come. And the Institute of Economic Affairs gives us Narrative B. COVID was merely the symptom, not the cause, of a failing system that has been overwhelmed for years. A redesign is long overdue. And Britain's health system should be changed to mirror other European universalized models. To do that, the NHS must first be abolished, with the Netherlands, Germany, and Switzerland acting as solid examples. To do that, the NHS must first be abolished, with the Netherlands, Germany, and Switzerland acting as solid examples the UK could follow while avoiding the completely privatized path of the US. Eric, sometimes I think that, uh, you know, universal medicine is the way to go, and it may be, but I, 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 for real, I went to the DMV today to get my license renewed, and it was not a pleasant experience. If that's what, um, you know, something being fully controlled by the government is like, we got to take a close look at it. I think that's, I think that's a, probably a pretty good example. I can't imagine. A judge rejects Florida's transgender Medicaid restrictions. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Reuters, Miami Herald, The Hill, and Politico. On Wednesday, Florida's restrictions on Medicaid coverage for gender dysphoria treatments, spearheaded by GOP Governor Ron DeSantis, were ruled unconstitutional by U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle. Hinkle ruled that Florida's rule and statute banning Medicaid payments for transgender health care violated the constitutional right to equal protection under the 14th Amendment, the federal Medicaid statute, and the prohibition of sex discrimination in the Affordable Care Act. The two-week trial was the result of a lawsuit filed by two adults and two parents of two transgender children against Florida's Agency for Healthcare Administration, which banned Medicaid payments for sex reassignment treatments. The agency cited a report by researchers who opposed gender reassignment therapies and classified the treatments as experimental and not medically necessary. Hinkle said Florida's decision to stop Medicaid payment for these treatments was political and that people are entitled to payment for any treatments their health care providers recommend. This ruling comes weeks after Hinkle blocked a Florida ban on gender reassignment therapies for minors, but that ruling applied to just three transgender youths whose families sued the state. Scott, thank you for those facts. Our first spin is a Republican narrative coming from Daily Caller. Hinkle is way out of line in striking down these restrictions. Most of the developed world has similar restrictions on these treatments, which are largely considered experimental and are definitely not medically necessary. The courts have decided that political correctness must come before protecting kids who are too young to consent to such irreversible treatments. 
And the democratic narrative comes from Business Insider. Of course these restrictions break the law. They're not based on any legitimate medical advice and are instead a way for Republicans to try to score political points under the guise of protecting children. DeSantis has even made anti-trans policies a focal point of his 2024 run for the presidential nomination. Thankfully, the courts can step in. Turning our attention to Australia as they threaten Twitter with a fine over hate speech. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Post, BBC News, Sky News, Forbes, Al Jazeera and Business Insider. Australia's e-safety commissioner Julie Inman Grant announced Thursday that a legal notice has been sent to Twitter demanding details about how the Elon Musk-owned social media platform enforces its policies concerning hateful conduct. The company has been told to respond to the regulator within 28 days or potentially face daily fines of up to 700,000 Australian dollars. That's over 475,000 US dollars for as long as the alleged breach continues. Commissioner Grant claimed that failures in content moderation had, quote, emboldened users to spread hate on Twitter, reporting that one third of all complaints received about online hate are happening on the platform. Since purchasing Twitter for $44 billion in October, Musk has championed free speech and brought back some of the 62,000 banned or suspended users while slashing the workforce by 80%, including staff in trust and safety teams. Grant previously expressed concerns that the deep cuts would leave the company unable to comply with Australian laws, as the country has led the global drive in regulating social media platforms. According to eSafety Research, Nearly one in five Australians have experienced online hate. Those identifying as LGBTQ+, disabled, and First Nations Australians reportedly face online hate at double the rate of the rest of the population. Thanks for those facts, Eric. The BBC brings us Narrative A. While moderation is still happening on Twitter, there is plenty of evidence that hate speech is on the rise under Elon Musk's leadership. Neo-Nazi users and QAnon conspiracy theorists have been reinstated on the platform, and there has been an unmatched surge in anti-Semitic tweets and slurs, as well as increased activity in accounts affiliated with the Islamic State. This must be urgently addressed. And Narrative B comes from Spectator. Media and political elites around the world have long indicated that they would target Elon Musk if he worked to establish Twitter as a free speech platform and roll back Orwellian content moderation policies. All this talk about moderating undefinable hate speech and tackling misinformation is merely the woke establishment trying to censor those who do not align with its views. And the nerd narrative from Metaculus, there's an 87% chance that Elon Musk will remain owner of Twitter on January 1st of 2024. Eric, in addition to just overt hate speech and, and abuse that's online, there's also an issue with, uh, you know, miscommunication based on, you know, reading text and in a, in a certain way or assigning an attitude to it. We have a, a new YouTube series on the Improve the News YouTube channel called Facts and Narratives. I host it. And people, someone commented on one of the videos, cool haircut Scott. Oh my God. Oh <laughs> it's my hard gosh. to know. I, I can't tell if it's hate speech or a compliment. I'm not sure. <laughs> Our final story, the USDA approves the sale of lab-grown meat. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, CNBC, Reuters, Al Jazeera, the U.S. FDA, and the New York Times. On Wednesday, two California-based companies, Upside Foods and Good Meat, said the U.S. Department of Agriculture, or USDA, had approved them as producers and retailers of laboratory-grown meat. The approval allows the USDA to inspect their lab-grown or cultured meat facilities in the same way as traditional meat processing facilities and slaughterhouses and label the meat as cell-cultivated chicken. Before moving to retail sales, the companies reportedly plan to launch their product at high-end restaurants in San Francisco and Washington, D.C. This is the first time lab-grown meat derived from a sample of livestock cells fed and grown in steel vats will be sold to U.S. consumers. In November, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration gave a safety clearance to lab-grown meat for the first time, concluding the food, made from cultured chicken cells, was safe to eat. The U.S. FDA and USDA approval makes the United States the second country in the world after Singapore to authorize the production and sale of cell-based meat. Scott, thank you for those facts. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from NBC News. Lab-grown meat reduces the harm and suffering associated with traditional animal agriculture as it does not involve raising, exploiting, or slaughtering animals. As livestock production generates 14.5% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, cultivated meat is an environment-friendly and relatively sustainable alternative for meat eaters looking for a more humane option. Narrative B comes from the Daily Mail. This safer and sustainable alternative to traditional meat is grown in a setting more familiar to the pharmaceutical industry than the food sector. Stealing cells from a living animal still breaches animal rights, which means lab-grown meat has the potential for continued animal exploitation in the production process. Furthermore, cultivated meat's environmental impact is in reality higher than traditional farming as it currently uses more energy to produce. Our final nerd narrative is coming from Metaculous Prediction Community, and they say there is a 1% chance that commercial farming of cows, pigs, and chickens for meat will be prohibited in the U.S. before 2041. I don't have a stance yet on this cell-cultivated meat. I can definitely see the advantage to not having to, to raise and, and kill animals. Uh, I can also I have a, some skepticism in terms of how it's going to taste, mainly because for the last five years— people with a vested interest in it have been telling me that these impossible burgers, these ultimate burgers taste just as good or better than real ones. That is not true. That is it's not the same. And, You're going to stand frankly, by that, aren't you? I, I mean, I try. It's, it's not the same. It doesn't necessarily taste bad or good. It just is not, it's not what people are. People want this to be so. I would like it to be so. I would love to not have to be cruel to animals to create food for the world. But, uh, you know, but frankly, I'd rather have a black bean burger, which at least just tastes like black bean, right. than something that's trying to masquerade as as, as something meat. else. I, right. I like, or or I'll have a salad there. That's a good option too. Yeah, I agree. You know, this is driving me more and more in, into the direction of becoming a, a, a full fledged vegetarian. Yeah, and <clears throat> and for those of you who've seen me on our YouTube channel, you might suggest that I have an extra salad now and again as well. So <laughs> thank you, thank you for that feedback, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, June twenty third, twenty twenty three. 
Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.